So, the new propaganda has just dropped, and uh, The Guardian is kind enough to condense it into this article, and uh, it's Why are terms linked to anti-Semitism being used at UK conservatism event? So, the terms they're talking about, it's not just The Guardian pushing it, otherwise I wouldn't really think it'd be that interesting to talk about, because of course The Guardian is stupid, that's not news. But institutions like the Southern Poverty Law Centre, as we'll see later, and Wikipedia have really uh, jumped on this, and uh, this has been the case for some time. But I'm going to read from this article, and then I'm going to break down all of the different ways that it's moronic. Um, and I'm not going to you know, spend the few hours it would take to do it thoroughly, but I'm just going to go through very quickly um, and point to things we've already done and covered so that you can kind of verify my summary based on a more detailed look at things. But it says as follows, a conference run by a right-wing US think tank might be expected to feature a robust discourse on culture wars and identity, but the National Conservatism Gathering has gone notably further with speeches using terms linked to anti-Semitism and the far right. Ooh. The debate over cultural Marxists and globalists, as used by onstage speakers, including a Conservative MP at the gathering in Westminster, is a microcosm of the wider jostling about the populist right and language. So these terms, globalist, cultural Marxist, anti-Semitic, I mean, what's revealed there is that the, the Guardian believes that the people behind these two terms, um, or the people who they're referring to uh, a secretly Jewish, which is kind of a, a very anti-Semitic thing all on, it, all on its own, isn't it? Because, of course, people are talking about ideas here. They're saying people with globalist ideas, people who are applying Marxism to culture. I mean, it's not about individuals or identity. It is just about their ideas, because these concepts, believe it or not, are about ideas. And I'm going to prove it to you. Um, but first, I'm going to continue reading this just to uh, get you into a sufficient rage, basically, to deal with this nonsense, because it is just naked propaganda. On the one side, self-styled free speech defenders, I love how condescending they make it, insist any worries are confected and attempt to stifle debate and to unfairly link conservatives with an entirely separate extreme fringe. Well, they've at least got that right. That is true. <laughs> I do agree with that. Um, so, a bit rare for The Guardian to actually have a legitimate counterpoint in there. Normally, they just straw man the argument, but... Um, there, there must be a loophole. <laughs> maybe. They cannot have said something interesting or good. Broken clocks right twice a day. Um, it says, but others, including many Jewish groups, um, funnily enough, in the article they don't mention them, um, worry deeply about what they see as the important... Um, importation of tropes linked with far-right conspiracy theories, and thus, very often, anti-Semitism. So even their wording there isn't nearly as strong. They're saying, oh, well, sometimes it's linked with it, but it's not actually anti-Semitic, which is very different to what they were making out at the start. So they're being slimy. I mean, it's The Guardian. Of course they are. Um, whether done out of malice or carelessness, um, cultural Marxism, used as a term of abuse in a speech on Monday by the Conservative MP Miriam Cates, is the more straightforward of the two ideas to pin down. It has its origins in a conspiracy theory that Marxist scholars of the Frankfurt School in interwar Germany, many of whom were Jewish, devised a program of progressive politics intended to undermine Western democracies. Wrong. They intended to undermine capitalism. 
not democracies. Um, the, the democracy aspect is completely irrelevant to what they're talking about. In fact, if you spoke to them, they would probably say, I'm in favour of democracy, whether that's genuine or not. Um, that's it would be non-genuine, but yeah, I, I think your point's correct. Yeah, so immediately misunderstanding or misrepresenting. I'm, I'm not attributing incompetence where malice will suffice. Um, but it says, at the centre of the idea, says Dr. Hugh Davies, a sociologist at Edinburgh University, is the belief that socialists aim to spread their credo by first taking over cultural and educational institutions, an idea often tied to an apparent invented quote from the Italian Marxist thinker Antonio Gramsci. Okay, this is, this is just pure gaslighting. I, is, yes. I was in the universe, in, in the in academia, okay? I know. Me too, yeah. And, and just one thing to say is that... I was there, man. <laughs> there was a, deb a, a debate you can see on YouTube between mm -hmm. Roger Scruton and uh, Terry Eagleton. And Terry Eagleton was saying, yeah, but the academia is right. And uh, Scruton said, listen, I, I was in academia. It's, I was the only person who belonged to the right, to the right way. You've got to be eating a massive packet of crayons to think that universities are right wing. Yeah. <laughs> How can anyone say that? I mean, they're, I mean they're, come on. they're just they're just shameless. I mean, Honestly, I remember they, they lack shame. I remember doing my master's degree and I pointed out the fact that Greta Thunberg, who was a child at the time, was being used to manipulate people's sentiments. And maybe if you want to be taken seriously, you don't use a child to manipulate people's emotions. And they're like well, she's a symbol of the resistance. I was like, you're an idiot. <laughs> do, you, do, do you not understand what I just said? I'm just saying, yeah, people can see that you're trying to control them and manipulate them. I wasn't, I mean, I didn't point out the fact that I don't agree with the aim either, but yeah. I was just like, your tactics are terrible. People can see through it. It's not good. And they're like, but she's a symbol. It's like everyone basically turned to me and was annoyed at me. And I was just like, they're treating oh. her like the supreme being. <laughs> what? Like Robespierre. Um, but um says, um, some on the right, Davies said, think they've got political power, but they don't think they have cultural power. Are you mental? Yeah, the right have political power. I mean, our Conservative Party in the UK is basically a socialist party. <laughs> I mean, they preserved the NHS, they've increased its budget, who, they've who increased immigration. You are a moron. Um, so they are looking for an explanation for why that happened. While there is little debate that the idea of cultural Marxism has... What do you mean there's little debate, you morons? Has anti-Semitic overtones and is closely linked to the far right, it is not uncommon for British politicians to use it. Sorry, wait, the idea of cultural Marxism? Why is it anti-Semitic? <laughs> it's because The Guardian assumes that if you're criticising Jewish people's ideas, as they, they framed it, by the way, obviously cultural Marxism is much broader than but, a specific group of but, people. Uh, pardon me, but Marxism is supposed to be an internationalist doctrine. Exactly. So, I mean, even if you if when you criticize cultural Marxism, you cri I mean, I criticize it uh, on the grounds of of uh, on many grounds, but I it's criticize an it on the grounds that it's moronic. Yeah, it's an internationalist doctrine. How can it mm -hmm. be a criticism? How can it counter criticism against a particular nation? Yeah, or a particular people. It, it's it's obvious that they're deliberately misrepresenting the situation because. Uh, they feel like they're on the back foot. People have identified yeah. what's being pushed, how they've infiltrated inf institutions, left-wingers, Marxists. And I don't think that uh, the Soviet Union was particularly friendly to Jewish people. Um, certainly not under Stalin, no. Yeah. Um, 
So it carries on to say, Suella Braverman, the Home Secretary, who also spoke at the National um, Conservative event on Monday, was criticised by Jewish groups for doing so in 2019. The following year, 26 Tory MPs wrote a joint letter to the Daily Telegraph accusing the National Trust of being beset by cultural Marxist dogma. So it's not the far right using it if it's 26 Tory MPs, because chances are if they're Tory MPs, they're going to be um, the soft and flabby centre if they're the furthest right. You know, they're not yeah. going to be... That, I mean, a decent number of them are left-wingers just in the Conservative Party. And that's a bit funny because in the, the very first paragraph of the article, mm -hmm. the author is drawing a distinction between right and far right, but mm -hmm. this doesn't materialise later on. Well, yeah, because it's it's ideologically driven writing, isn't it? Yeah. Davies said they think it sort of gives them a sort of intellectual veneer of credibility. Oh, I don't want to say sort of any more times. Um, as if it's established... Um, theory in academia or something. This is clearly the voice of an intelligent man. But it's only because they've been listening to right-wing academics who believe it's a valid theory. They think it's an established theory in academia, but they've been listening to right-wing academics. So it's a theory in academia. You, In the same sentence, you just disproved what you said. Um, and then he goes on to say, it should horrify them that in the manifestos of racist mass murderers like Anders Breivik, it is often accompanied by the language of disgust and disease. Metaphors like it has infected our schools and universities. It implies that these institutions need to be restored to purity, need to be cleansed. That's just smearing them by a very tenuous association there. Yeah. Very slimy. You're obviously ideologically possessed. Not all agree, however. Yoram Hazoni, an Israeli-US writer, think whose think tank runs the conference, so it's run by a think tank <laughs> um, with a, a Jewish yeah. person in it. So I, I, I don't know. I, I don't think they're necessarily going to be anti-Semitic unless he's particularly self-hating, and I don't think he probably is. Um, condemned what he called this attempt to smear a friend of the Jews, <laughs> such as Miriam Cates, with the utterly preposterous accusation of anti-Semitism. He argued the term cultural Marxism is an apt phrase to describe the cultural agenda promoted by many on the left today. The Edmund Burke Foundation offers no platform to anti-Semites. We are proud to number Miriam Cates among our speakers and friends. So now I'm done reading from this quite frankly, moronic propagandist piece. I wanted to look at the uh, the academic that they cited here, this, this so-called expert. So this is uh, Dr. Hugh Davies' uh, page on the University of Edinburgh website, and it says, Hugh's research places sociology of race, gender, and class at the centre of the study of digital technology. So he's like an intersectionalist. of his jib. <laughs> so he's an intersectionalist um, and a cultural Marxist. He's a sociologist... And in sociology, they teach Marxist perspectives on society. And do you know what's part of society? Culture, believe it or not. So, uh, yeah, he is a cultural Marxist. And he's t taking great offence and smearing them for using a label that could describe his views, because, of course, he's an intersectionalist, race, gender, class. I mean, that's... That's shameless. It is obviously the Guardian should uh, be even more ashamed of itself than normal for choosing someone who's basically very much on their side as a partisan expert. I mean, expert. I mean, he did a PhD. That doesn't make you an expert, really. I mean, it's just credentialism at the end of the day. But I wanted to uh, examine these ideas and talk about um, cultural Marxism in particular because I think globalization, even the world economic 
forum uses globalism, globalization. The Guardian itself uses those terms. So that that part of it is so easy to disprove yeah. that it, it's not even worth going into. However, the cultural Marxism thing, I think having a little bit of a deep dive of the ideas is important. So first of all, let's go to Marx himself, the progenitor of Marxist ideas. And I think that's a little bit of a controversial statement because I think Engels actually did a lot of the hard work and Marx was just a layabout and a parasite on Engels. So um, some of the, the blame is on Engels as well. I think we don't blame Engels enough, but uh, Marx is the, the face of it, even though he was probably yeah. less uh, industrious than Engels. And here are some I think direct- his mother said that wish Karl uh, created capital more than he wrote about it. <laughs> It's a great quote. But I'm going to read directly from Marx's writing and uh, how it relates to culture. He says, The ideas of the ruling classes are in every epoch the ruling ideas, i.e. the class, which is the ruling material force of society, is at the same time its ruling intellectual force. So implicit in this, this is from the German ideology, by the way, implicit in this is the notion that if you are to overthrow the ruling elite, which is explicit in all of Marx's writings, um, you know, anti-capitalist, that sort of thing. They talk about the bourgeois, the capitalists, how you have to overthrow them. They say the dominant ideas come from these people and therefore these ideas need to be challenged. And what are these ideas other than culture? Of course, and it's fun to see that the, the, art, the previous article you read said at some point that it's a conspiracy by right-wing academics who by the, I think by now they're extinct, I think. Yeah, they're uh, in, a endangered species at the very least. <laughs> It's a conspiracy by right-wing academics to talk about cultural Marxism. That it is madness. Um, and here we have um, a quote from the 18th of Brumaire on Louis Bonaparte. Uh, the tradition of all dead generations weighs like a nightmare on the brains of the living. If that's not talking about culture, I don't know what is. Again, from the German ideology, the production of ideas, of conceptions, of consciousness is at first directly interwoven with the material activity and the material intercourse of men, the language of real life. So here he's saying that culture is inextricably linked with the economy. And because Marx was focused on overthrowing the, the economic order, as well as the cultural order, because he saw them as intertwined. He saw them as two inseparable things, which I actually think is true. You, you, your culture and your economy are. Um, did kind he of in, interrelated to one another? Yeah. Did he see them as intertwined, or did he say that it's the substructure and the hyperstructure? And if you change the substructure, the hyperstructure will change. That's that's too much jargon for me. Okay. But I, I'll presume that that is correct okay. because yeah. Marx wrote Sorry. in a very jargony way. <laughs> yeah. But it, it, it honestly, what what pisses me off about the thing is that, of course, the left has stopped representing workers and has gone to the universities. Mm -hmm. uh, well, it's, yeah, it's, it, it, it's not necessarily the, the working classes anymore. They get a trade and they're probably out earning the middle classes these days yeah. because, you know, building is far more lucrative than anything you can get with a degree. I can certainly attest to that. Um, and the final one from the Communist Manifesto, the bourgeois has stripped of its halo every occupation hitherto honoured and looked up to with irreverent awe. It has converted the physician, the lawyer, the priest, the poet, and the man of science into its paid uh, wage labourers. So it's talking about the bourgeois as a, a class, as a culture, um, doing things that are bad in his perspective. And he's directly framing it about culture. So yes, even Marx, 
um, was concerned about culture. But let's move on to the Frankfurt School because um, they were interested in carrying on Marx's ideas and they um, certainly mentioned in this, yeah. this Guardian article. And um, here we have a list of the, the Frankfurt School members. So you've got Herbert Marcuse, Jürgen Habermas, um, Jörg Lucas, uh, Theodora Dorner, Walter, Walter Benjamin, uh, Max Horkheimer, Erich Fromm, all of these people, you know, maybe familiar names to you, um, Franz Oppenheimer, you've got all of these people, these are part of the, the Frankfurt School. These are academics, individuals whose ideas can be criticised, many of them were Jewish, but that's irrelevant to the validity of their ideas because I am a normal person who, you know, views ideas based on their merits. Like ninety nine percent of people, and and again, I mean to to repeat it, Marxism is an internationalist doctrine. Mm -hmm. So, I'm going to talk about the Frankfurt School, but to avoid being arrested for a hate crime and accused of being an anti semite or being sued into oblivion, I've had to um, defer some of this to um, ChatGPT to define because then it allows me to make the most of a legal loophole, so I don't get in trouble. So I'm sorry I have to do this, but uh, blame the law, not me. I don't want to. But um, it, it has, uh, ChatGPT has received a woke lobotomy, but it actually um, pr provided a very accurate representation of what the Frankfurt School set out to do, uh, what it believed, and that sort of thing. And I think that a lot can be learnt from this. So it says, the Frankfurt School, also known as the Institute for Social Research, was a group of interdisciplinary scholars associated with the University of Frankfurt in Germany. It was founded in the late 1920s, became particularly influential during the 1930s and beyond. The purpose and aims of the Frankfurt School can be summarised as follows. Critical theory. The Frankfurt School's primary purpose was to develop critical theory and challenge the prevailing social, cultural and economic conditions of capitalist societies. The scholars associated with the Frankfurt School sought to understand and analyse the complex relationship between culture society and power. And uh, if you don't want to uh, take AI's word for it, you can take um, Carl and Thomas's word for it because they've broken down what critical theory is because Thomas has studied the Frankfurt School's ideas yep. in great detail and we talk about them ad nauseum a lot of the time, but he knows his stuff. So if you want to uh, learn a lot more about critical theory and uh, in greater detail, nearly Two hours by the looks of it. Oh no, it's not. It's an hour. An hour. I can't read, apparently. So yes, check that out. And uh, they go on to say, Marxist analysis. I mean, yes, they were Marxists. So they're, they're looking at culture and they're Marxists. Hmm. Does that mean they're cultural Marxists? I think so. But it says, the Frankfurt School drew heavily from Marxist theory, but sought to update and adapt it to the conditions of the 20th century. Definitely. While they shared Marxist critique of capitalism, they also recognised the limitations of traditional Marxist analysis and sought to explore other factors such as culture, ideology, and the role of mass media that contribute to the reproduction of social inequalities. I couldn't have put that better myself. Yeah. I mean, it's spot on. Cultural critique. There's an entire section here. One of the central aims of the Frankfurt School was to critically examine the role of culture and mass media in shaping societies. They analysed how cultural forms such as art, literature, film and popular culture are intertwined with social and economic power relations. They were interested in understanding how these cultural forms influence and shape individuals' consciousness and the reproduction of dominant ideologies. I mean, that's just explicit. 
They were looking at culture, you morons. Um, they also list the title Emancipatory Social Change. As a, for some reason, that's a tongue twister for me. But I'm not going to read that because I'm not going to belabor the, the point. You, you get it by this point, right? But yes, um, it also ends with the Frankfurt School's ideas and theories have had a significant influence on critical theory, cultural studies, and social thought, shaping discussions on power, ideology, culture, and social changes. So yes, this, this academic is a dishonest hack. And um, this is obviously... True. I mean, you you can just go out and read their writings. They literally say it themselves. They they focus on culture. This is lies. Not not, not on economics, like uh, Marx mm -hmm. would, for instance. It's also it's, worth mentioning that Theodore Adorno developed the authoritarian personality type, which tried to pathologize the right wing as inherently authoritarian and as some sort of personality dysfunction. And this is something that defined. Um, political psychology and the paradigms therein for quite some time afterwards. And it's only recently that people have been like, hang on a minute, obviously there are left-wing authoritarians as well. It's not exclusive to the right wing. There's not inherent authoritarianism in the right wing either. So this was just, I, it was uh, a rhetorically driven concept that's infiltrated academia. I must say that they, they have infiltrated academia to such an extent that it is very difficult to we, we, that we need to understand what happened and how they operate mm -hmm. and how they twist language mm -hmm. because we see progressively the the idea the hate speech laws are being pushed forward and this is there is a correlation there, there is yeah a well what they're trying to do is poison all of the language used by the right against us, making it have implications that it doesn't actually have, because yeah. through controlling language, you can control people. And w one thing that I want to say is that what they're presenting is that they are trying to contaminate language and present autonomy, which is irreducibly personal and individual, as a collective thing to be achieved. Mm -hmm. So they want to portray autonomy as something that can be outsourced to the collective or the state. So they say in order for people to be free and be emancipated, we need a progressively more powerful state that is going to give them the conditions of self-respect, uh, material conditions, whatever. And the question is, how does the state give you the, the conditions of self-respect? You need to be in a social context with relations where people talk to you in a particular way and relate with you in another way. That is why we constantly see human relations as being constantly, progressively more problematized. Mm -hmm. It's also worth mentioning as well, the, uh, the book, Repressive Tolerance, or as an essay really, um, from Marquisa, which we've covered, um, again, Thomas and Carl, Thomas being the expert on these sorts of things. And that would be worth checking out as well, because in the essay, Marquisa um, critiques what he sees as the false notion of tolerance within liberal democratic societies. And he argues that the prevailing form of tolerance actually serves to maintain and reinforce oppressive power structures. And he's the sort of academic source, I suppose, of the popular view that one must be intolerant of perceived intolerance. But perceived intolerance um, often just means anyone to the right of you. That reminds me of CRT and Candy, where it says it's not enough to be non-tolerant, you have mm -hmm. to be anti-tolerant. I'm going to be getting onto the intersectionals soon, because um, they are the sort of inheritors of the Frankfurt School tradition, and uh, the paradigm that we unfortunately have to wade through to uh, get some sort of political discourse. Um, so, 
is basically a justification for the left not engaging in good faith debate with the right. It has its origin here, which we see in manifestation everywhere. All left-wing politics refuses to engage with the right. They strawman the right, they call them racist, sexist, homophobic, blah, 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 blah. And it's all based about around propaganda. There's no attempt to gain value out of the person you're talking to. Yeah. And uh, it's effective, unfortunately. Um, so moving on to intersectionality, which um, inherited the, the mantle um, that was passed by the Frankfurt School onto them. And this is a sort of movement from the 1990s, I suppose. I think it started in 89, roughly. That's the, the general agreed uh, beginning. And they modified the Frankfurt School's ideas in the same way that the Frankfurt School modified um, Marxist ideas. So you have things like critical race theory, which of course yeah. is based on critical theory, which was the creation of the Frankfurt School. And so it critical focuses on race as the group that is to be emancipated. Exactly. So yes, um, you can't have critical race theory without critical theory, which um, critical theory you can't have without Marxism. And critical theory is applied to culture. So it is cultural Marxism. I mean, I'm basically beating a dead horse at this point, but it's not just The Guardian, as I alluded to earlier. You also have Wikipedia saying cultural Marxism conspiracy theories. It's not a conspiracy theory. They said it in their own words. They wrote books about it. They said it. They communicated it. They said it in lectures. They said it in books. They said it to each other. They said it on TV. Don't gaslight us. It's not a conspiracy theory. It's not anti-Semitic. It's just describing what they themselves believed. So. Here we have the Southern Poverty Law Center, which is a hostile institution to the West and anyone that has a functioning brain. Um, cultural Marxism, a conspiracy theory with an anti-Semitic twist, is being pushed by much of the American right. Nonsense. People have read what you're up to, we figured out your tactics, your methods, and you're trying to smear us, trying to destroy us because we've exposed you for the dishonest, bad faith people that you are. And I'm not going to fall for it, not going to allow you to get away with this. I think we need to be very forceful about this because if we allow the language to be changed, then the left wins. It's simple as that. A lot of, we, we often talk about wars in politics and in culture. Well, language is just as important and we can't let them win. I hope you appreciated that segment from the podcast of the Lotus Eaters. And if you want to support the work we're doing, you can sign up to the website and watch videos like this. This is Symposium number 18, Debating Classical Liberalism, where um, Stelios debates in favour and Carl debates against. And if you want to find out what Stelios is doing, you can check out his Twitter here. Thank you very much for watching.